Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. But sometimes it takes people from a different perspective to shake up and change an industry. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior, and welcome to another Tactical Tuesday a short-form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. If you've listened to our Tactical Tuesdays before, we bring in a subject matter expert who can tell us about a region, a topic, a technology, and help you get more informed. Today's guest is... One such expert, Angela Rainford, is going to give us the deep insights we need on the Caribbean. If you've been paying attention, you know we've got an upcoming event with my friend Matt Perks and New Energy Events down in Miami called Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum, or CREF, as it is colloquially known. If you've further paid attention, you know that we've got an event the day before on October 16th called Precharge. You can check out Attend precharge.com to learn more about that. And we'll link to that and CREF in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. So what is happening in the Caribbean? Is 2019 a watershed year for the Caribbean? We kind of think it is. And at CREF, you'll be able to listen to speakers deliver their roadmap for the Caribbean grid, which is modern, clean, resilient, and economic. Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Aruba, Jamaica, and more. Caribbean is in many ways about to cross the finish line on some historic projects. It's a brave new world for Caribbean utilities as they grapple with decentralized grids and the role of regulators in this new economy. Which islands are leading and how is the grid becoming more resilient? These questions and more will be addressed not only in part here with Angela Rainford today, but also at Craft. So I encourage you check out Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum 2019 happening down in Miami. You'll meet me. You'll meet Angela Rainford, today's guest, and you will meet your goal of becoming more knowledgeable on the topic of how to develop in the Caribbean. Thanks for tuning in to today's Tactical Tuesday. Remember, you can find more Tactical Tuesdays on topics as varied as bifacial modules, flow batteries, and O&M over at mysuncast.com. While you're there, check out our Suncast tribe, and you can be a part of our inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, solar warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, warriors, as promised, today we have... A titan of industry down in the Caribbean, a Jamaican national who has explored not just the business world, but the world at large, summited three of the seven summits, has her pilot's license, classically trained in finance and piano. And I am pleased to welcome her to today's show. We're going to talk a lot about some of the development she's been doing down in Jamaica. But first, welcome to Suncast, Angela Rainford. Thanks, Nico. Thank you very much for having me. 
So, Angela, we're going to go into the details on Rakamnir and Seleko and how all this came about. But as I look at your bio, you've got an impressive pedigree. The road's paved before you, not just from a finance perspective, but you're among the few, and speaking percentages, numbers-wise, you're among the few to leave the island and get out into the broader business world, achieve educational excellence, achieve work excellence. I know how hard the path is just to get there, let alone how hard the path is to leave that career, turn your focus back to the development of something as, as complex as the energy sector. Can you help frame for us why and how you first got exposed to clean energy and how you decided to take up this crazy cause with all of us? So I guess, look, when I was working in banking, banking is a path for some people if they want to do it for their careers. For other people, it's a road step. It's kind of a stepping block. And for me, what I wanted to create with my life was a story that ultimately someone would be interested in reading. And that story doesn't necessarily have to be very straight line. It can be very much ebb and flow and with a lot of changes. And when you think through what legacy you want to leave and what legacy you want to leave behind, for me, it was basically to create some value and make a change in people's lives. And for my country, there are many ways in which I obviously could contribute to other countries, but to be able to do something special in your own country and also in your own region at large is always a, you know, for me, just something I've always wanted to be able to do. So you're right. I guess to some extent, it's a little bit crazy. I, I still remember the day when I went in to resign from my position. The partner at the time, he basically asked me, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Because we can counter offer. And I said, no, it's, it's not about the money. It's, it's, it's something a bit different than that. It's a bit greater than that. So that was part of the reason why I was very fortunate to be able to, to do things back home. Do you remember the first time you saw a renewable energy project or maybe even just a financial model of a project that sparked that idea in your mind? I do. And then I also have to be honest that I kind of fell into the energy space, if I'm brutally honest with you. So when I was at Goldman, I did work on probably about two deals. They didn't close, but I did work on a couple solar projects. One was in Italy, which we didn't win in the end. But I left Goldman not knowing what I wanted to do, Nico. <laughs> like I literally just, it's You either, resigned and said, yeah, something, just, so there's got to be something more than this. Exactly. So I think the choice for me, especially as an entrepreneur, was do, what would I regret more? Would I regret not taking the chance? And if it doesn't work out, then maybe I try and go back and beg them for my job. Or do I just, sometimes you have to be out there to allow things to happen to you rather than making things happen yourselves. And so I started looking at investment opportunities. I've always had an interest in developing countries. Obviously my country, Jamaica is one of them. And so my, my dad, I have to give a lot of credit as well. Like he, he was the one who said, look, come home, take a look at what's happening here. And when I started scoping around, what was happening was the regulatory framework in Jamaica specifically was changing. And until 2013, well, 2012, really, you as an independent developer, you couldn't develop renewable energy projects and the law changed. And I, I got a phone call because to be, to be honest, and this goes out to all the warriors out there, but the beginning is usually very, very hard. And, you know, there were times when I'd left banking and I thought, wow, did I make the right decision? Especially when things don't go as planned and you're used to a very, very fast pace. And then all of a sudden it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's a lot slower. <laughs> things don't happen as quickly outside of um, Wall Street. So 
I remember almost on the verge of giving up and then I got a call from a gentleman who's almost 90. So I'm hoping that he makes it to our, well, we have our opening ceremony in a few weeks. So I'm hoping he makes it to it. And he was the one who called me and said, look, take a look at energy. This is your country. Things are changing. And it's one of the few sectors that permeates, literally permeates everything. So you can imagine the impact that you can have. For those who are unfamiliar with Angela and her story, the brief background, and I want to dig actually a little bit deeper, you know, left the, left the island, as it were, to go study abroad, became an analyst at McKinsey, worked her way up in consulting, took that, I'll say again, somewhat traditional path back to Harvard Business School and then out to Goldman. I mean, tried and true, right? This is a template that some part of it's luck. Part of it is like, you know, real you know, intelligence and, and uh, wit uh, so congratulations for that. It's not easy to have carved out the path that you have, given the the many things that could have come against you, right, in the in the pathway. For those who might look at your story and say, oh, you know, she must be from some super family and just had the pa- pathway paved before her, maybe even a legacy at Harvard. How did this come about for you? I mean, did you just kind of fall into it? No. So actually, I do not have a legacy at Harvard. I, I, a cousin of mine went, but not, not an immediate legacy. I mean, my dad, um, he's now passed away, but he'd never really taken us to where he was from, like his birthplace. After he passed away, we decided to, to go there. He, he was one of, I guess, five, but then there was one who had passed away, five kids. And his dad was a farmer like a proper goat herder <laughs> in Jamaica, in Sligoville, St. Catherine. And his generation, I mean, he basically was around, you know, he was in his 30s when Jamaica became a country. Jamaica didn't exist, right? I mean, we went independent in the 60s. Between my dad and my mom, they always instilled in us a sense that education is key. I mean, he, to give you a sense, because his family was so poor, he never went to college. He went to high school. He was a very, very brilliant kid. He basically studied accounting via correspondence which at the time means letters. So sending letters back and forth between Jamaica and London to get, you know, to get a certificate in accounting in terms of Harvard. So I remember as probably as a young kid, he used to read Harvard Business Review because he was into self-learning and trying to better himself, even though he didn't have the so-called pedigree to back it up. And I remember as a kid asking him, oh, daddy, what's that? And he said, ah, this is one of the best schools in the world. And I was a bit of a, I guess, a cocky kid. And I went, oh, okay, if it's one of the best, I will go there one day. And rather than discouraging me and saying, oh, that's going to be really hard, he said, I look forward to seeing that one day. I'm pretty certain he, he didn't think it was going to happen, but he, you know, he said, I look forward to seeing that. So I, I applied again, another, I guess, hurdle or roadblock. I was discouraged um, from applying when I, by the guidance counselor. My of course, co- guidance counselors are. <laughs> I mean, he, he literally said to me, look, the last person to have got in was over four years ago. Why don't you, don't waste your parents' money and, you know, apply places that you think you can really get in. And that led you to, to the Northeast and New York and later yes. London. Uh, and what a path you have been on. I hinted in the outset that you obviously you left uh, you left Goldman and you came into clean energy. You know, folks might see the success of your current project and think, "Oh, well, this must have been recent." But no, you left in 2011. The financial process for developing projects is is tedious, right? And we're not going to. I wish we had time to go in today. Maybe we'll do a follow up interview. Talk really about how sort of the lessons learned from the finance side. And I know that you're going to go into some of that at Cref, so we won't touch on on that deep detail, but you do bring 
world-class training from McKinsey and Goldman. And I wonder what tools from those previous roles you've been able to apply as an entrepreneur, either from leadership, mental models, management tools, et cetera, that have helped you now as a developer? So it's been integral to what I've been able to do. Unfortunately, for a lot of developers, I've seen this and heard of it, when it comes time to getting the financing in, they tend to, they tend to be diluted to very little, next to nothing. And it's not to say that my, uh, my private equity brothers are, are bad guys, but the reality is, is that if they can get if they can take the arm, they'll take the arm rather than taking the finger, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the, you know, what they do. And, um, and so having been on the other side of the table, having been an investor, having had that training, it, it really was very valuable and helpful to being able to, to get that done. I mean, just to encourage all the developers, I wouldn't shortchange also just trying to be street smart because you can be the best associate analyst in one of these big banks or firms. And at the end of the day, just understanding people is probably the most important skill that you can have as a developer. And that's not just people who wear suits and can give you the money. It's also dealing with the communities that are right next to your project who, if they wanted to make it stop, they could make your life very, very difficult. And so a lot of it is about understanding people and convincing them why you should do what you want them to do. So you threw yourself into this, uh, you know, this deep, this deep change, a conscious effort globally, and certainly um, at Jamaica, as much a battle as any other grid to transition away from fossil fuels, away from the incumbent model for utilities. Oftentimes entrepreneurs will say, if not now, when, if not me, who? My question to you is a bit the inverse of that. Why now and why you? And, <laughs> and, and what is the problem that you saw as an opportunity to solve for your country, for the region, and as a business person wanting to tackle this problem? I can't take credit for the why now completely, right? I mean, we're all part of an overall revolution. Mm -hmm. There's a wave of changes on the technology side, the market side. Re if regulation didn't change in Jamaica, I wouldn't be doing this right now, right? So the policymakers... Whatever their drives were, that's, that's critical for making this take place. I mean, there's always an element of being in the right place at the right time. You know, I, I am always, you know, don't, don't forsake the gods or whatever you believe in. But there's also effort, right? I mean, there's a classic tale of the guy who begs to win the lottery and prays to God to win the lottery. And then he never buys a ticket. And God's like, when are you going to buy a ticket? <laughs> I mean, like to be able to win the lottery, you probably heard that one before. But I think the hard work and to some extent, I'll call it resilience rather than stubbornness. But we didn't win the first time. We tried again. And it's, it's just that constant pounding, which I think is in, inherent in, a, in, a, in entrepreneurs and developers. The problem trying to solve, you alluded to it with regards to Take, get the islands off of fossil fuels as much as we can at some point. I mean, this is something that we don't have. I, I mean, there are a lot of discussions of gas being an intermediary step to trying to get to being 100% renewables. But the reality is that a lot of money goes every single year out of the Caribbean to, to purchase resources that we don't have. And if we could generate energy with resources we do have, then you can redivert you can basically do import substitution. You can use those funds on healthcare, education, other things. Besides the you know kind of the import substitution element of it, I remember being a kid, you know, studying to candlelight. 
right? I mean, who remembers studying to candlelight because of blackouts, rolling blackouts, and that should really not happen anymore. So the fact that our energy cost is amongst one of the highest in the world as well, that kills our industry. I mean, we can't have manufacturing if we, if we have energy bills so high, we can't be competitive. So I'll be a bit devil's advocate, or maybe just I want to explore a little bit beneath the surface. It seems on the outside looking in, again, I mentioned some of the previous roles you had before starting your current businesses. It seems that you do have a leg up on the competition. And I'd be curious your own assessment of that competitive advantage or strategic advantage as you thought about becoming an entrepreneur what were the things that you felt like you had shored up versus the things that you really believed in yourself that you could make happen because you have a network? I think with everyone, we have assets and we have liabilities, right? Or perceived and real, and real liabilities and perceived and real assets. You're right. My educational background definitely helped. The network that I got from, from where I worked, that also was also very valuable. But I mean, not to knock on this, because again, this is kind of a double-edged sword, but being a woman and a woman of color, that's potentially a positive, but it's also a negative in, in a number of places. And so I guess just to go back to, you know, whether, I guess, I don't know whether you're asking just how much of a, an advantage I had from being from a finance background. My question, if I had to be very pointed is, how much do you feel in retrospect you had figured out already going in? And believed, okay, because I have this network, because I understand finance, I know that I'm, you know, ahead of the game from my peers and competitors. Honestly, Nico, I, I guess you missed out the fact that I like motorbikes as well. I kind of went by the seat of my pants. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I mean, like, okay. Literally a bit, a bit by flight. Yeah. I mean, okay. to some extent, I think you need to have, you do need to believe in yourself. Um, but as an entrepreneur, when you're when you're really chartering a course that you've never done before, I wasn't taught at Goldman how to be a developer, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they teach you very strong work ethic. And then you, you understand the core, the core elements of finance. But to, to understand solar, how do you piece things together? How do you... I mean, yes, there's certain trainings that you can apply. So there are building blocks that you can apply. So the finance helps negotiating, understanding contracts... That definitely helps, but it's not, it's not the full package. And to some extent, you got it, especially how I did it, because I didn't work at a development company before. I never worked at a utility before. And probably that's annoying for some of my competitors because some of the guys I'm up against have been in the industry for 20, 30 years. I mean, they're career utility guys. So if I'm brutally honest, and again, I like the pointed question, I couldn't tell you how a solar panel worked when I started developing a solar project. I'm like brutally honest. And Angela, I can tell you, having been in the industry when you came in, that that chided many, many people. I've been in the industry in the Caribbean since 2013. I can tell you that there were people saying, who is this Angela Rainford? She doesn't squat about solar. How is she going to win a tender? Why would anyone partner with her? Exactly. And the point there is... And actually someone else did ask me, they're like, how do you go from finance to doing solar? And I basically said, well, if you really skim it back, it's finance business, project finance to pull it together. It's a finance business. It's contracts. When we signed, when we reached financial close for Paradise Park, I looked around the room and you know what we saw? Paper. The entire deal stacked on sheets of paper. 
And you're right. I mean, when we won, and I won't name anyone, even though they might know who they are if they listen to this, but I was sitting in a restaurant in Kingston and a friend of mine overheard some guys talking about me. He's like, oh my God, I think, I think they're talking about you. And so we started to listen and I went, wow, they are talking about, this is after we won. And these guys were literally saying, oh yeah, I've met her. She's really young, super naive. There's no way no way she's going to pull it off. At that price, there's no way she's going to build it. It's not going to totally happen. Made, yeah, they made some mistakes. Yes, exactly. So you know what I did, Nico? And this is kind of the person I am. I walked over and I said, hi. <laughs> I basically walked over and said, hey, gentlemen, uh, you know, how are you doing? Nice to see you. And the guy who knew me, who was just literally ripping me apart behind my back, I swear to God, he, he blushed red. <laughs> he was like so red. And he introduced me to everyone around the table. And I just said, see you later. You know, that gives you an additional sense of satisfaction. I mean, there's a satisfaction of, I think it's always a satisfaction of getting something done. I've always, even as a child, I always like getting something built or done. But to also do something that other people said couldn't be done or wouldn't be done. We did a few press releases partly because we had to, but you know, Neo and who are my partners, they press release, but they're not, act, they're not like actively every single week, you know, trying to send people out there to go and be in the press. Anytime we were silent, people were saying, ah, I told you it's not happening. But sometimes it takes people from a different perspective to shake up and change an industry. I mean, if everyone comes in from the same vantage point, then you can't have innovation, you can't have change. And I will say, what I'm most proud of is that you know I'm doing this again in my own country. And a lot of the other developers who are very good as well, but a lot of the other developers are not from there. And you have to appreciate that being a local, whether it's from the region or or you know, specifically in this case, I happen to be a local to the actual country, it says more than just getting the project done. Because there's a perspective that you have in understanding the people and what they're coming from. I mean, I am from a privileged household. I, whilst my dad was born basically dirt poor, he worked really hard and gave me the opportunity where I could go to a Harvard. I mean, you have to imagine that gap of progression. Social mobility is, is very, very high. Why would you judge a tech guy if, he's, if he hasn't done solar for 20, 30 years? Doesn't mean he can't bring something to the table that could be you know, revolutionary. I'd like to encourage you to join us for this Thursday's webinar, Thursday, October 3rd, with Angela Rainford of Recamnia Ventures, where we will dive into the lessons learned from the Paradise Solar Farm, how she lost and overcame obstacles in the first tender to win in the second tender. It's going to be a good one. Hope you can make it. Go to mysuncast.com. You'll see the webinar link there. Sign up now. Don't miss Something I want to highlight that I've never heard before, and, and I'm going to have to go do some research on it. I bet others who are less familiar with economic development, this is probably a new term for them as well, import substitution. Okay. Can you give me like a 30-second primer on import substitution? If you don't have something in, in your own country, then you normally have to import it. If you are able to then substitute it, as it were, with something from your own country, then it's an import substitution. So what you have there and is- And creates a, a surplus GDP. Correct. It should be positive for the country's economic balance because then you, know, you no longer need to spend money to be able to bring something in that you need because now you have it yourself. 
at the Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum, CREF19, which uh, we'll both be attending, you are doing a session. Uh, there are two sessions called CREF Game Changers. And I would dare say that it's agreed by many that what you've accomplished is indeed game-changing. The previous tender won by WRB was one that uh, was years long, took forever to even come to fruition, let alone to get it built. And you bid that. We we lost fair and square, <laughs> but, but it's what it is. <laughs> We're going to do the, the webinar this Thursday where we'll dig into that, uh, that transition, the process of phase one, phase two, how to lose and come back and win, right? But I do just want to focus on Paradise Park, which you're going to have a whole session on at CREF. And I would encourage folks that are going to be going to listen in. But in less than three years and at a record-breaking PPA price, you are now about to commission in the next few weeks a 51-megawatt peak solar plant that is up and running in less than three years. I mean, that's, that's hard to pull off in the United States, let alone in a Caribbean republic. How, from your perspective, did that project break barriers and come together. And I'd like for you to start with the seed of how you decided to go with Neowen. Okay. So Neowen, this comes back, I guess, to one of your earlier points about network and facilitating. So after I got that call to take a look at the sector and I started doing research and decided, okay, this looks like a really interesting project to make a solar project happen in Jamaica. How, how amazing and cool would that be? Let me basically put down what I have and then what I don't have. And what I didn't have was money because to be honest, Nico, a lot of this I bootstrapped. I used my savings and I didn't have necessarily the technical expertise. So I started um, you know, reaching out to people in my network to see who could, be, who could plug that gap. I could be a good partner. And Neowen, it was completely by chance. I was sitting in the lobby at Goldman, and one of the French MDs who I, I wasn't even planning to meet him. I was going to meet someone else who told me no. But anyway, so he comes out on the escalator, um, JC, Jean Christophe, and he basically says, what are you doing here? And why aren't you here to see me? So, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> the awesome. only reason why I'd go to Goldman is to see him. So I booked a meeting with him. And then I told him what I was working on. I had a teaser and he said, I think I know somebody who would fund this. So he was friends with um, the lead, the main shareholder of Neo and Jacques Vera. And so he introduced me to Jacques. Jacques liked it and he sent it to his CEO, um, Xavier Barbaro, who then started having discussions with me. So met with Xavier in Paris and um, had nothing but a PowerPoint presentation and pitched him. Yeah, classic entrepreneur style. I mean, didn't go in, just pitched him. And he liked it. Other people of his team didn't like it. And I left not knowing what was going to happen. And within two hours, a friend of mine in Jamaica sent me an email saying, hey, the OUR has just issued um, a note that they're going to have an RFP. This is back in 2012. So the same day, it all happened together. So I emailed as a good entrepreneur, I tried to call Xavier and then I emailed and said, hey, this is happening. This is going to go. If you're interested, let me know. If not, I'm basically going to somebody else. And he said he was interested. So the first question he said, when can I come to Jamaica? And at that point, I knew that he was seriously interested for him to fly from Paris. And he was a CEO at the time. So he came to Jamaica. And the other thing, just to give you a quick heads up, which you'll find very funny. So I had lined up some sites to show them because basically my goal was to show them that I can, I can give them access to Jamaica, right? It's a country that I can make things happen and get things done, cut the red tape. I had a bunch of sites and one by one, the night before he was arriving in Kingston, they fell away. One went to a competitor. The other one, the guy kind of double 
double crossed me and ended up <laughs> wanting to bid himself. And then the third one was the only one I had left standing. And is that where you ended up building the project? No, we ended no. up. Well, I have a question for you. How did you know? You're not a developer. How did you know that you even needed to line up sites? How did you know what to get ready before you go to Nowen and ask for a partnership? Some of it's common sense. Mm. Obviously, common sense is all not that common. But I guess from my perspective, again, thinking from the investment side, I needed to show them that I had something. So if you, if you literally just jot down what are the pieces of the puzzle that you need to make something happen. It's like Ben, ben Franklin style, right? Left column, right column. Exactly. And you just go like a little puzzle. Okay, we need this and I can do that. I can't do that. Together we can do this. And then you, you know, my goal was to try to show them that I had something because a sheet of paper, whilst in the end, that's kind of what they, they backed that and they backed me. And likewise, I, you know, I like them. It can only go so far. So you try to, you try to show up to the negotiating table with as much ammo as you can. I'd love to hear from your perspective now that you've gone through not one, but two tenders, you've successfully won and built a project in a tender. You are by any standard or measure a seasoned developer now. Congratulations. Thank you. uh, you'll receive your, uh, your medal at CREF. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Matt, you're on the hook for that. I'd love to hear whether you feel there are some universal truths that are unique to the Caribbean market about how these projects come together? There are a number of hurdles. One is definitely, obviously, you have to secure the land, but then, but you need a regulatory framework that makes it enable you to do your job. Right? I mean, each country is at kind of a, throughout the Caribbean, countries are at different stages. So I will say, and I'm, I'm very proud of Jamaica for having done that, for having done this, they're one of the trailblazing countries in the region for having enabled IPPs. For what you find in a number of the Caribbean islands is that the utility tends to be a monopoly, which is the case in Jamaica. And the utility sometimes has a very strong desire to be the sole generator on the islands as well. If you have a market such as that, I couldn't do what I just did in Jamaica, right? Unless the, the regulator or the government or someone else said, look, we want it to be competitive and we want other people to be in the market. That, that's kind of hurdle number one. The other hurdle... And again, this is not completely specific to the Caribbean. Um, it's more a global thing, but it depends on the tax incentives as well. So if you have a tax regime where if you want the lowest cost of electricity for your country, then you need to make a decision on how you handle the tax. Am I going to be taxing the panels, the inverters, everything that comes in? Am I taxing all the labor? Jamaica had a policy where basically they, they created a tax incentive for solar that was an enabler for that environment. By and large, you didn't succeed because you were trained at Goldman. You didn't leave Goldman with a business plan. You didn't stay at Goldman for an extra two years to pull the marrow out of all of the potential project developers and deals that you could look at while you prepared yourself to be in quotes. I'm doing air quotes for those who <laughs> aren't watching the video to become a developer. A developer. You jumped in and then neither of the hurdles you just explained to me would have been solved by all of that preparation to begin with. So having ability to have the macro filter of which market is ready for the service I want to provide is a really important filter. It's super important. I mean, that's why there are some countries where I can't develop yet. And I, I put yet because I would like to hope if they want utility scale, whether it's solar, wind, hydro, I think the main thing is to create an environment that enables that. 
an environment that's friendly to that. What are your three top wish list item, islands? Islands or yeah. places to do place or places to develop. But if you outside develop. of Jamaica, what would be on your wish list? Like I really would love to go develop I, in this country. And I'm giving a shout out to all my people in the Bahamas, especially after Hurricane Dorian. I would love to develop in the Bahamas. Love to. It has one of the highest cost of electricity in the Caribbean region. And there, I know the, the, the ladies and gentlemen at IRCA are making strides. I think there, there are going to be some changes, hopefully this year, fingers crossed. Uh, for all those people who can't see on video, I'm actually crossing <laughs> my fingers. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a, you know, a country that's ripe for development um, if you get the regulatory framework right. And um, they would benefit from it. Another country which is already doing well, with or without me, because they've made that choice, is Barbados. There are a lot of changes taking place in Barbados on the distributed generation side. And I would love to see, I know that um, I think Emira, so Barbados Light and Power, they have their own solar facility with energy storage. Selfishly, I would love to see independent <laughs> developers also build something there. BLP obviously can do more, but I think the market would be great if you have other developers compete, just compete and give, give the country the best price. You know, that, that's, I think, what what I would love. Where can folks who want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Are, there, are you present on social media? How can they engage? Sure. Well, well number one, def- another plug for Matthew. Do try and come to CREF if you can. It is the, I mean, I don't go to many conferences, to be honest, because I have to be pounding the table, hustling, trying to get the next deal. But for, from a Caribbean perspective, it is the conference to go to. It's where you can meet all the developers, the professionals, anyone who's interested in that sector, it's it's really where you where where I would suggest that you go. And I will be there this year. Um, Nico, I guess you're going. I'll be doing two panels, one specifically on my Paradise Park projects, and the second one on CNI. So so basically introducing Seleco. In terms of social media, LinkedIn. That's kind of my social media of choice. I try to avoid, I'm not on Instagram. <laughs> I, I haven't. Not on the gram. I, I'm not, no, I'm not on the gram. Facebook, I don't even check anymore. I think I missed my own birthday on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never, that's great. I missed yes. my own birthday on Facebook. So, um, <laughs> so, but LinkedIn, I think from a professional perspective, that's definitely where I'm most good. active. Good, good. Well, Angela, I concur with you and likewise implore Anyone who's interested in doing business in the Caribbean, there's a reason that the only Caribbean conference I go to is the Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum. There simply is no better way to have access to the people who are really actually doing projects in the region. And again, a selfish plug, but one that nonetheless is valuable to Suncast listeners. If you haven't been to a Caribbean conference and you consider going to CREF, if you attend the pre-charge event, which is the day before on the 16th, where James Ellsmore and I will go really deep into the regional politics with uh, local, you know, former prime ministers and and executive developers. And we'll go into how to best prepare for the your day or two at CREF. We'll also have a discount code for, for anyone who wants to attend. So again, another uh, plug for CREF. And I can't wait to meet this fantastic entrepreneur when we hang out in Miami, Angela Rainford of Seleco and Recomniar. Thank you so much for joining us on Suncast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. 
All right, all right. Thanks for sticking around all the way to the end. I have a few more things to chat with you about. This is a little bit longer than your typical Tactical Tuesday, but man, what a great interview that was with Angela Rainford. I My mind is buzzing with so many ideas and thoughts and questions that I'm going to pose for her when I see her in Miami. I'd like to see you there. If you haven't registered already for the Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum, you can check it out at newenergyevents.com forward slash CREF. It is the event to attend if you're interested at all in how to do business in the Caribbean. And if you're already doing business in the Caribbean and you'd like to go deeper with your network, your knowledge, or really tweak and fine tune your personal message, your personal brand, or maybe even just get to know other developers in a more intimate setting, consider going to PreCharge. PreCharge is the event that my friend James Ellsmore and I are doing. It's a one-day event the day ahead of CREF. You can find more details on that at attendprecharge.com. If you know someone who you think would be a good fit, please consider referring them. And remember, you can find the show notes for this and every episode of Suncast over at mysuncast.com. You can click on the listen button. It'll take you to the show notes page. You can read the blog. You can find Angela or my social media accounts and LinkedIn links. And while you're there, please do check out, as always, I ask, check out the Suncast tribe where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Thank you to to those who have recently joined into the fold. You have access to longer interviews, some uh, video interviews forthcoming, our Slack group where there's always an interesting discussion happening and much more to come throughout the rest of 2019 into 2020. To all my current tribe members, you rock and I'm eternally grateful for your patronage. You make Suncast better. You can join them. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash member. I look forward to welcoming you formally into our tribe as well, my friend. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.